Vitamin C has evolved. Ultriant Vitamin C is a cutting-edge liposomal liquid food supplement designed for maximized absorption. Discover Ultriant Liposomal Vitamin C and receive 10% discount by quoting HR10 at AbundanceAndHealth.com. Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, founders and clinicians who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before I introduce this week's guest, I'd like to remind all the listeners to follow us on social media. It's at Health Tech Hour and please also follow UK, UK Health Radio, which is at UK Health Radio to stay on top of all of the great content coming up on the station. So on to today's guest, Elliot Engers, the CEO and founder of Infinity Health. Elliot started his career in the post room of Virgin Records, but has come quite a long way since then. Um, Infinity Health are actually the perfect example of why I love doing this show. So their, their area of focus is digital task management, which on the face of it doesn't necessarily sound all that exciting, but and I think it's a big but if you consider within the NHS that 60% of all adverse events, i.e. basically something that goes wrong, that 60% of all things that go wrong in a hospital happen because of poor task management and miscommunication in clinical settings costs the UK taxpayer over a billion pounds a year. You can see that the problem that Infinity and Elliot are trying to tackle is, is massive. So in just one department of one hospital, Infinity's platform of digital task management saved over 10,000 hours of staff time in a year. That's just one department in one hospital in one year. Infinity have also adapted their platform to help the NHS scale COVID-19 self-testing using lateral flow tests um, within NHS staff. And Elliot has also been accepted onto the NHS Innovation Accelerator, and, which, and he's one of only 12 people this year whose contribution to the NHS has been, has been so valuable that they've been invited to join this prestigious program. So um, there's a lot to get into on today's show. I'm really fascinated by solutions like Infinity because it simplifies something that is, is actually complex and it does it in a very efficient way. So Elliot, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Good, good to, good to have you on. Um, how are things during lockdown? I kind of ask everyone, what's the kind of the mood in the camp? How, you know, how's the team been? How's the company been? We've been phenomenally busy, which has meant that we've been very distracted um, okay. from a lot of the things. We've been quite successful in sort of working remotely. We use tons of tools like task management tools project planning tools they all they all work remotely um team slack zoom um we can have a conversation remotely uh, but i think so if the year's starting to take its toll i think everybody's looking for to kind of recharge a little bit everybody's looking for this to be the beginning of the end 
It certainly feels that way. So there's optimism, but we're, it's been a very long year. It really has. Mm-hmm. It really, really has. So um, as regular listeners will know, the show's in three parts. So the first part is on origins, you know, sort of story. And then the middle part is all of the great things that you and Infinity are doing right now to change the world. And then the final part is, you know, what's the future for Infinity and, you know, kicking around a couple of topics of the day, um, maybe COVID related, maybe not COVID related, you know, who, who, who knows. Um, so to, to start with, um, let's go back to the, to the post room at Virgin Records. Um, at, at what point did they let you leave out of the room? Oh, well, that was interesting. So I start, yeah, so I started off life in the post. So I was doing music at university. It's a classic case of sort of like dropping out of the university, going and getting a real job, um, ending up in the post room at 18 um, at Virgin Records, uh, which was amazing. I was there for like three months. I think. Okay. Um, and uh, it's the sort of being in the guts of a business like that kind of gives you access to sort of like get your face around, sort of understand how things work. Um, and then a job came up internally and I went for it in what was called college marketing. So I basically started marketing to my peers. I was okay. marketing to universities at the time. Okay. Um, m- music, music that I loved. Um, so it was, it was amazing for uh, a few years and sort of started to work my way up um, in, in UK marketing, um, sort of understanding how to sort of like manage a marketing budget, sort of like managing expectations, putting a plan together executing executing well and then learning from what went well um and then i kind of watched an entire industry get completely disrupted by technology uh, yeah, is, i think that's putting um, mildly a, a learning experience um so that was that, that was definitely something that we learned from it's like understanding that the relationship people have with technology can be quite profound and quite important and it can transform the way they behave in meaningful ways it really did inform a lot of um sort of what's core to our principles now about um how technology can be applied effectively to be um better for everybody uh, in a quantifiable way okay well we can get into mm. that um we can get into that during the show because i think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. area what 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 at what point did you kind of transition from you know the, the music business into i don't know whether it was you know, whether you got into health tech via kind of a stop off on entrepreneurialism somewhere or sort of, you know, what, what was that journey like? Haphazard. <laughs> so I, 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 so in search of something that gave me, made me feel like I was doing something meaningful. Um, so I, the, the music industry was about to go through a dramatic change with um, the launch of things like iTunes and selling music digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the companies I was working for wasn't being as progressive as perhaps it could have been. So it's, okay. it wasn't a place I wanted to be. So I left. Was it a, was it um, a, was it a label or what was it? Yeah. Virgin Records. So we had, um, it, it was an amazing place to be. So it was a, like an independent that like kind of uh, played in the same waters as the big guys, as the Sony's and the EMI's of this world. And um, so it had all of the sort of like passion of uh, an independent label, but um, all of the money of Spice Girls. Okay. Uh, so we, we had, yeah. so we, we, it was a fun place to be, but it, it wasn't about to sort of like move quickly and be very agile um, no. in the face of things like iTunes. So I, I, I mean, I handed my notice in. I was like, I'm going to go and do something else. 
and sort of took some technical skills into uh, building uh, technical experiences for media companies. So we were building like um, websites for like West End shows and things like that because we had a lot of media contacts out of them. uh, So we kind of leveraged that. And it got got to the point where um, we were getting pretty good at building things for other people and getting pretty frustrated by sort of like client requirements. But we thought we could build something, we could build our own IP. We could build our own product, our own application. And my co-founder was a doctor at Stanford Orthopedic. And he had been sort of for years going, look at how terrible this is when I go into work. Look at how this works. Look at what I have to do. Where, like, look at how I have to do this really important thing in my day to day and the technology I don't have. And we, it was, it was our 10 years of talking that we kind of, that's, that was the transition point where we thought we'd had the technical skills. We thought we had the experience to kind of really go for something. And we th- thought we'd found a problem that we were ideally suited to solve. Wow. Okay. So did you, um, in that period of time, it was you and your current co-founder that sort of funded a, almost like a development agency prior to infinity is that how it sort of went yeah co- correct we were kind of like we, we were we were trying to work out what we could do in technology that was meaningful um so we had a we had a a, a de- web development agency and a web application agency we were doing some marketing we did some stuff out ourselves i was a music manager for one time I worked in an art gallery like really for like five years I was like I need to find what I want to apply myself to early on in my 20s and then um and we found it and we've been we've been working on it for what feels like a very long time yeah Yeah. cool and he was a doctor the whole time your co-founder still is oh he still is okay Right. Never actually sort of like worked full time in the business. Um, okay. It's just sort of like a, a, yeah, a co-founder in that sense. When, when your co-founder told you about this problem, I know, well, you said you've been hearing about mm-hmm. it over 10 years. So mm-hmm. what was your first reaction? Because I know when you told me the story of the business and, and when I read about it on the website, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, I was like, well, that's crazy that that happens or t- continues to happen that way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I know that we haven't quite gone into what the problem was but Yeah. So I think we've got some bandwidth issues, but so I'll... Yeah. Sorry to speak over you. No, go on. Um, so um, absolutely. So that, that, it, it, that was my reaction too, is that like, how can this still be a problem? How has this not got a solution? Um, so that, let's state the problem. So the problem is you... So I stated at the beginning was that 60% of the time that anything goes wrong in a hospital is because we don't know what we're doing. Right. Um, like we're not sh- and and it's that someone hasn't updated that this now needs to be done or sh- handed that piece of information over or they've made a mistake or they've put it on the wrong line of an excel spreadsheet like when it, w- when you look at hospital adverse events 60 percent of the time poor communication at the point of handover is a contributing factor um and that's that that seems crazy so that's um once you start to unpick it and then when adam my co-founder explained the problem to me he was he so it was it was very very late on the weekend (laughs) Um, and we were talking about the kinds of problems that we could go after like what is the kind of thing that a small company in healthcare can actually do something in like where where can you have a real impact um and it felt like 
So he just pulled it, he stood up, pulled out from his two back pockets, two separate pieces of paper, Mm -hmm. um, because he was on two different surgical firms at the time with two different surgical consultants as bosses with two different handover lists that were effectively the same thing, right? So it's an Excel or a Word document with a table in it with effectively three columns or a few more, depending on how sophisticated you are as a team. But it's typically who, who are our patients that we care about? Why are they here? Yeah. Um, what are we what are we doing to them right now okay what needs to be done what are the priorities who's doing it and then that gets updated beginning and end of every shift gets printed out handed over to the next person and it's four o'clock in the morning and adam had two handover sheets <laughs> hey right. what are you doing with two handover sheets on you yeah. where's the on-call doctor what's he doing i was like oh, i had he didn't turn up on time i stayed an hour so i let i, I had to leave i handed over to him in the car on the way home Wow. Right. Yeah. And this is like, this is routine. This is like, he, like, and he's on the phone. Like, we, like I, he'd taken two or three phone calls that night because people needed information. And I was like, th- th- I was having the reaction you were having. I was like, this can't be this bad everywhere. This can't, yeah. this, this has to be an anomaly. So right. we started looking. So we went to the Royal Free. We went to UCH. So we went, we started talking internationally. And that last mile of healthcare genuinely is incredibly analog still. Like even if you've got a health record system, that who's doing what when is going is being written on a whiteboard or a magnetic icon that's only discernible to the people on that ward in that particular moment in time will understand what it is. Or it's being added to a Word document, or it's being bleeped via a pager to someone, or it's a phone call or an in-person meeting. There's very little good technology at that moment um, for, that helps staff. And that's what we thought we could do as we could okay. do something there. And, and, and that, obviously that's the kernel of an idea. You found a problem. You thought you could come up with a solution. How did you go and re- like do the initial feasibility of it? Because obviously, you know, particularly with the NHS, you know, just because you've had an idea doesn't necessarily mean that your idea is what they want. Or, or even if you're pre-confident is a great idea, you're still a long way away from actually getting that implemented. And because you're working with the NHS, the NHS is basically the gatekeeper. It's a bit different with a, whereas a private, if you're, if you're doing something privately, then you can just sort of go live, so to speak at your, you know, at your choosing. So how did you move from that sort of, you know, position to, to actually starting something? Validate it, validate it, validate it, assume you're wrong, <laughs> like okay. question every assumption. Um, sp- spent a lot of time doing that. So like, get, like trying to humble yourself a little bit and treat it more scientifically. So um, the, the, business, the business that we have, do we have a proposition that people think are interesting? Go and test it. So we went to, at the time it was, um, it wasn't Innovate UK, it was the Technology Strategy Board when we applied and they were going through a rebrand at the time and we applied for a proof of concept. We said, look, this is, we want to build a handover app that's mobile first, that's designed, that will plug into hospital systems, that will help staff at the beginnings and ends of shifts, make sure that there's high quality information being handed over and things don't get missed. Let's test that assumption that, that, and then you, so you put together a grant application and they, and and we were successful. That's a, that's a pretty good test that people that know what they're talking to have reviewed this uh, in duplicate and triplicate. Uh, and they think that the, the plan we have and the team we're assembling and the, you know, the, it, it has, ha, is, is applicable, but be super careful because <laughs> that was, 
so that, that we took that as the market really, really needs this. Yeah. Um, and as it turned out, what, the, what we think the market needs based on sort of the traction we're getting now is not quite that. And, and that's come about because we kind of continue to question whether or not we're being useful, we're doing the right thing. Are we focused on the right problem right now? Because it's changing all the time. Right? I mean, like, right, well, you and I have been doing tons of work on um, lateral flow testing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For different reasons. Uh, yeah. but, but both of us can be involved with it because that's what was important right now. That's yeah. the thing that was the challenge um, for, for frontline staff. So we, like, I think that's, that's, that's what we've been doing is kind of just keep listening and keep okay. testing your assumptions. And how did you, you know, cause I'm always interested with, with like startup businesses, like we are, and like you are, you know, um, you're a bit further ahead than we are, but the, um, with the NHS for, for sure, how do you get that? How did you guys get that first real world kind of pilot or trial in the NHS or with an NHS entity to, where someone said, no, actually, we think that what you're doing is actually quite interesting. We'll give this a punt. So I, think, I think with like any success you have in improving or changing healthcare, it's never one thing coming together, right? So it's always sort of three or four things converging at just the right moment. Timing is, is key. For the, 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 our perfect storm was we had built enough product we'd had we've got we had a tool that was working um, and was ready to be used in uh, clinical practice Mm -hmm. and to be tested so that was important having a proper demonstrable mvp whatever you want to call it um we had uh we had built enough team by that point that people felt confident that we had the right people that could do it Uh, we were on digital health london accelerator was probably the last piece of the puzzle that we needed Mm-hmm. And that all converged on, um, there was a, there's someone called Sonia Patel. She's now CIO of NHSX. Yeah. Um, at the time, she was CIO of London Northwest University Healthcare, very large um, uh, trust with three, um, three hospitals in Northwest London. Um, so she, what Sonia did was she said, look, we have to be open to what these smaller companies are saying. They've got big ideas with big ambitions, can solve big problems. We need to give them some time. We need to listen to them. And they had something called the digital den. Um, So they would invite companies in to pitch in similar ways to the way that startups pitch to investors, but pitch, pitch your proposition to this innovation panel that constituted of uh, Sonia digital leads IG leads, uh, finance leads, operational clinical leads. Um, and they would encourage people within the trust as well to come. So like to staff to come and pitch ideas as well. And we were one of those companies that got invited in because we were on Digital Health London Accelerator. And she listened to us and she said, I love it. Let's do it. And so she allowed us to pilot um, our handover app, okay. which we got some like amazing buy-in and really great feedback. And we learned tons from and then it was Sonia that said to us, look, this is great. Um, and like, you know, I'm a believer, but the current problem we have and uh, that we have the capacity to solve and the drive to solve is this problem over in the emergency department with waiting times. You're a task management solution. Do you want to go and have a look at it? Right. And we said, yes. Thank you very much. And we did. Um, and, 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 and I think, and everyone in our business, like, well, she's pointing you towards a problem that isn't necessarily our core business and we need to stay focused. Yeah. And I think what you need to stay focused on is solving your customer's problem. 
Yeah. Um, that, and, and you need people like Sonia Patel that can like give a, give a company a go, spot an opportunity to do something. Um, and hopefully we've, you know, returned that favor um, yeah. a little bit, but it's, 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 yeah, that's, that's what it takes. It takes a champion. Okay. And, um, and w- at what point did this become a kind of a mission for you? And your co-founder or was it always a mission or was you know when did it move from being like oh that's a super interesting opportunity into oh my goodness uh this is my mission to help improve efficiency in hospitals to help you know improve patient care there was a point when um during very early prototyping stages where i was looking at it and i was thinking yeah this is exactly the kind of problem that um a startup can solve there was this we realized that this was about um, a big EHR probably doesn't have um, the capacity to be looking at the problem in the the amount of detail that we were looking at it. Mm -hmm. And we were discovering the really important things that allow you to build really effective products. And it was in those, those early days, those early prototyping days, where I was like, we've got this. Like, we, we really can build something of value. Staff, frontline staff, unanimously bought into it they felt like the minute they saw what we were trying to do and the way we were trying to do it everybody was there so it just felt to me like oh this is just going to be a matter of time before we convince the powers that be that their frontline staff need this want this and it's going to make things better okay um that was probably a bit naive (laughs) but that's what gave me the drive seeing seeing that it would work it's like just knowing that we've got this like it's it makes a difference and there's been times along the way where like you've seen some data come in and that's really validated something that you thought was true. <laughs> Those yeah. moments, it really infor- reinforces the mission as well. I find that, yeah, I can I can imagine. And so, what yeah. um, what were some of those? You know, you said that you were looking into the prototype, and you saw some details that you were looking at, and you realised, like, oh my goodness, we we've, we've got this. What what was that kind of light bulb moment, or what were those details? Um. So we would do things like. Uh, UX testing. So um, we would give proto- like a clickable prototype on, say, a tablet or a smartphone or a mouse and keyboard. So we try and put people in front of something that we think is going to help them with no instruction whatsoever. Okay. Um, and we would just ask them to explain back to us what they're seeing and what they think the purpose is and what would would happen if they click this thing. All right. Okay. Um, and it was amazing, like just seeing people kind of go, okay, so this is a list of my patients. This is what like, I imagine this is like entirely up to date. So, and it's got all the information I need there. And if I click this, oh, I get a list of all the tasks associated with them. So these are all things. And then they could discern everything. And I'm not suggesting that we've built something that's 100% intuitive, but on the whole, our UX testing would go incredibly well to the point where we could then say, okay, we want you to perform this user journey. We want you to be able to sign in um, select a patient, add a task to them, and then mark that task as completed. And someone without any instruction whatsoever, 80% of the time was to, was completing that with no, we thought, okay, hold on, this is something that might be able to be embedded without any sort of like 16 hours worth of training. Right. Um, and all of that cost is now, it's send them a video, their, their colleagues will help on board them when they turn up for a handover meeting. And that was true. So okay. during the pilot, we um we tried that we said anyone new that starts throughout the pilot you train them before the handover meeting (laughs) let's see if that works and it works 
So they, we, we, they, they were able to onboard them in the three minutes before a handover meeting, sort of invite them into their team, give them access mm. uh, under controlled IG rules. Um, and then this person was able to create and update tasks as they went throughout their shifts, sharing that information in real time with their team. No problem. That's, that's awesome. Those are the moments. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going live. Those yeah. moments are pretty amazing when you, there's no stopping it now. Like you turn this thing on and suddenly 500 people are relying on this to work. Yeah. If this doesn't work, this is, this is something that we do. So like uh, requesting a porter in an emergency department is something that you do 350 times a day as a department. Right. Get that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so like you can have a very bad day in your ED. Yeah. Um, but when it works, it's incredibly gratifying to see it all come together. And it's not just your success. It's like the success of such a huge team. Yeah. Um, so we just get to be the tech on the end of it. That's good. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. let's, let's turn to the actual product now. And maybe you can kind of like for the listeners, just, just walk through what it does more for, and why it matters to ultimately to a patient. Why does it make a difference? Because, you know, I, I think all these the sort of technical systems, it makes sense why hospital administrators care and why heads of department care. But like, why does that actually matter to patients? OK, so probably best to just I'll, I'll pick one tiny, tiny example, which I think exemplifies everything you've asked me to say. <laughs> um, so let's take the example of what's the, the current experience as a patient in emergency department. So you go and so you break, you've, you've had a road traffic accident, you've gone to the ED, you think they suspected that you've broken your leg. You need to have um, a scan, right? So you're sitting in a bay in, in ED and your doctor decides, right, I'm going to send you for a radiological scan. The current process in a lot of uh, our emergency departments in the UK to demystify it is that that doctor will then leave, <laughs> leave you in bay two yeah. and walk towards a clipboard on the other side of the department somewhere, which can be, these departments are getting pretty big these days. Okay. So that could be a two or three minute walk. Um, and along the way, they're going to get accosted for questions and answers for everything that's going on in the ED. They get to that clipboard and then they'll write down, my patient in bay two needs to go to uh, ED x-ray. And so you'll get bay two to ED x-ray on a, p- scribble down on a piece of paper and doctor scroll. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to all our doctors. <laughs> and, um, and then they come back to uh, the patient. And then what, what might have happened, by the way, is like while they're waiting for that porter, someone's saying, are you using bay two? We've got like another like road traffic accident. We need to get in there. No problem. I'll move my patient out into the hallway. You stay here. Don't worry. You'll be on your way to x-ray soon. Right. And then so the 15, 20 minutes later, a porter might turn up to bay two. Okay. Is looking for the patient to move. They're like, well, you're not moving this patient. Right. Well, then where's my patient that I need to take to x-ray? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know who was here before. Right. Um, and because they don't keep a log of who was in that bay for those few minutes that they were being examined. And so the, 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 the porter will then be dejected, go back to their supervisor saying, I can't, I, I couldn't find the patient. I didn't know who requested it. We don't know the name of the patient. They're not in bay two. What do I do? And the super broad supervisor will just scribble a note down going, problem with this bay two to XPDX ray job. Okay. And sort of half an hour later, the doctor will come back, see their patient in the hallway, be rightly 
annoyed about that because it's really important this person needs to get to x-ray meanwhile you've been sat there in the hallway wondering what's been going on your job's been cancelled and now there are no porters and now there's another reason why you're not there and it's taken you an hour to get to x-ray which is like 15 meters over there you know that's the that's that exemplifies there are thousands of processes like that where that are high volume mission critical and when they go wrong you get patients lined up in corridors or patients staying an extra day in hospital which is a terrible experience as a patient you feel very you feel very much like the system around you is just behaving in a really inefficient non-joined up way yeah. and that's because it is. It's yeah. the truth. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to join these things up. So um, with Infinity. So what does Infinity do? So we, we, we're a task management solution. So we can basically attach tasks. So a task is an actionable thing, something that we need to get done. So it, it typically has a title and a description and a start end time, end time, start and end time. It might be tagged and categorized so this is urgent or this is a nursing task Um, and then it can be assigned so Elliot's doing this or Steve's doing this or Elliot and Steve are doing this right and then it can have a status what like is it requested is it pending is it in progress is it completed has it been cancelled so they can be in these different states okay and we, we infinity is a way of attaching these tasks which are these really useful ways of coordinating activity to patients and then prioritizing them. Um, and we've got, we've over the years, we've now gone quite a bit further. So that probably is the simple explanation. And behind the scenes, we're able to do things like, okay, so if a patient gets admitted into the hospital and they're of this age and they've got this past medical history, perhaps we want to do these three tasks first or okay. any inpatient we should be doing a VTE assessment for. So we've got automation where we can do automation. Um, so does that mean you're kind of like so when someone comes in to any to to a department or I guess well mm-hmm. their first point of contact or the point of contact with Infinity are they some does someone upload them so to speak into the system they add them to the you know space or how does that sort of work? We do that through integration so that okay. no one would tolerate having to enter that information twice so that information so that's another frustration as a patient is that you get asked for the same information over and over again yeah. and the reason you're asked so the controversial thing that i might say is they'll tell you that this is actually really useful because it means that they could double check um, and that they're validating this information the truth is like you're being asked this over and over again because the integration of healthcare data is poor right Okay. It's, just, it's the truth. The, the state of uh, apps don't talk to each other the way they should do. Right. Um, so people don't know. When you get to the ward, the nurse doesn't know your name. So they're going to take a past medical history. That's, that hasn't been brought over from a previous encounter that you had there just three weeks ago. You know, okay. that stuff doesn't happen. So what we do is, is that's, plug in. So, yeah, yeah sorry. go on. No, go on. I, was, I was just going to say that so we don't ask where we can, we don't ask people to do things in duplicate so our goal is to reduce steps so where we so someone gets admitted to a hospital um we get told about it through um something called adt feeds admission discharge and transfer messages okay. uh, so every time someone gets admitted infinity gets told about it through a secure tunnel we'll then uh, synchronize that patient on both sides so they're admitted in infinity and when they get moved 
we'll move them in infinity. And when they get discharged, we'll then discharge them in infinity. So we can okay. keep the patient in sync. Perfect. And that means that no one has to do any manual data entry or anything like that, which is so in theory, when everyone working in that ward or, or that department sees all of the patients automatically and then can immediately start assigning tasks or, or, or you know, doing whatever they need to do within infinity. Yeah, when Infinity is plugged in to a hospital, um, so yeah, it's quite, it's quite, quite grown up integration. So once we've established a secure connection, what we can do is replicate in Infinity all of the wards, all the clinical areas that might exist, all of the teams in Infinity as in in the form of different lists. So okay. you could go into the ward one list, or you could go into physiotherapy. And then every time someone is admitted to ward one, they just pop up on the on the list and when they get discharged they just disappear sort of all happens in real time just like blinking lights okay Um, and then what that means is you can now just attach tasks to all these people and they're effectively linked across the health record so you can use it for really great audit data and perioperative data right which previously didn't exist because no one was is it is it fair that no one was really tracking a patient's end-to-end experience on a patient level, on an individual level, you weren't able to do that. Is that correct? I think it would be unfair to say that no one was doing it because there's a lot of people that were, and they were doing that, like they were putting in huge amounts of effort to do that because they understand how important that is. Um, but it wasn't happening on, it doesn't happen on mass. The, the, all of that, like, what are we doing? Like the, the really important thing will get written back into the health record. Right. But a lot of what's happening while you're admitted to a hospital or you're within the care of a community team is just done in, and it's documented in informal ways. And that is not linked to your health records. So, um, but you would, all of the really important clinical things would have been written back, but it's just a very manual process to do that. And you're now doing that in duplicate from your Excel document back into the health record. And so, and how much do you think, and it might be both by the way, but how much of Infinity's mission or your mission is around, you know, managing tasks and improving or reducing risk associated with handovers versus, you know, overall efficiencies throughout the system? which are not necessarily the same goal. So I would argue that they are. Um, okay. I, I, I used to argue that they weren't, but um, a health economist convinced me that they were. Okay. Um, that they're the, same, they're the same thing. So if you, so if we deal in the efficiency metric that we typically deal in, which is time, okay. time being money yeah. <laughs> um, in the Scrooge McDuck vernacular um but so if you could give back so if you think of time purely as a um the less time we spend on something the less it costs us great um that's that that's the sort of very blunt way of looking at it and there's terms like uh cash releasing benefits and in-year cash releasing benefits and things like that so if you can demonstrate you're saving enough time that you could actually free up some resource and then you actually free up some resource you've actually reduced the cost of something. That's the gold standard of um, sort of like efficiency gains. But time means so much more, right? If you can give time back to staff, you're going to get less, you're going to get better retention of staff. You're going to get a lot less burnout. Right? And you like, we should be talking about burnout in the NHS right now, um, given the daunting task of the backlog that's bearing down on them. 
having gone through the year that they've gone through, you know, it's, it's understandable. The amount of pressure these people are under, if you can just give them back some time, suddenly they're able to care for their patients better. They're able to care about themselves a little bit better. Um, so I think we kind of deal in t- time, giving time back, and they're the same thing. So like if you can, if you can, the more time you give people back, the more uh, the the better experience the staff members will have, the better experience patients will have, the better uh, care people will be given, the better outcomes we'd have, and the better cost. Hundred percent. Wow. I mean, when you put it like that, I, you know, I think I kind of agree with you as well. When you put it like that, hmm. um, that kind of time is the, is the, is the most critical thing that you guys deliver. So is it more, have you sort of started to track or do you track overall the, the time savings that infinity delivers? I know that we mentioned at the start of the show, the 10,000 hours in a year in just one department with, with, which related to the Porter issue, which you already explained, but have you got any other kind of, um, demonstrations or, or data around the, the 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 savings that infinity delivers so we've started to do that we're trying to well i say started we've been doing this for years but the we've, we've starting to do something that's a bit broader in terms of evidence generation that can demonstrate that sort of on average once infinity is used it's going to it could save you this much time if you're this much if you're a staff member doing these predominantly doing these activities and if you're in this role and you're this staff grade and you're predominantly doing these activities, Infinity will typically save you this much time. That is, that's the mission like that we're working on. We, uh, as we lead up to that, it's just building a, um, a portfolio of case studies and evidence and evaluations and proving to ourselves that the solution we've built works. Yeah. Um, and then tr- trying somehow to be very careful about how can you extrapolate the benefit we got over here in the, in the, under these very specific circumstances, how much of that benefit can we reasonably expect would work at this organization 200 miles away yeah. with completely different patients, completely different layout, completely different working practices. Um, there is going to be some variation. Our, our general view is though, in every, we just need to be able to demonstrate every single time um, you give us a, a legacy-run process paper, verbal, pager, yeah. um, Excel document. We can improve it in all of these ways. We can make it safer. We can make it more reliable. We can make it more efficient. We can make staff happier, and we can make patients happier in in every case. And well, I think if we just continue and- to do that, people will believe it. Yeah. yeah, happier and healthier, right? If like sixty percent of all adverse yeah. events that happen in hospital are related to mm-hmm. you know a lack of good handover process, task management, then it it relates back to patient health because um, it's it's actually improving or reducing the risk of, of an adverse event. Yep, that's the way we see it. Yeah, well, no, I agree with you. And what, um, what else, w- when you started the company, properly started the company, what else was doing this role in the NHS in any capacity? What, what, was there some solution or a number of solutions that were similar or slightly different? Or what was, because obviously, I, I'm, as, as you said, your co-founder said, had been talking about this problem for 10 years before you guys did anything about it. So I'm assuming it's not, it was not an unknown problem, right? So what, yeah. what, if anything, had been done or discussed or, you know, thought about? Yeah, we, it's not like we discovered this problem. This is like, this is a 30-year 
sort of hit, yeah. um, sort of poorly hidden secret about when you peek behind the curtain of what goes on in a hospital. Um, so this is quite well understood. So w- w- um, w- what else was going on in the space? So there was a belief, I think, during the National Programme for IT that electronic health record systems were going to solve all ills. Um, okay. And perhaps people weren't thinking specifically, like in the vernacular we used, like t- task management, workflow, patient flow, those sorts of things at that moment. But they were certainly thinking, we're going to digitise all information and therefore we're going to have digitised all processes. And the yeah, truth is, the you same, haven't. Yeah. what you've done is you've... Yeah, you, maybe you have created digital aspects of processes, but they're probably detrimental to the process mm. because they've not been designed to be beneficial to the process. What we do is we, we assume the health record, the digital health record is a solved problem. Like okay. organizations can buy databases. Yeah. Right. We can store We can store information in tables. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to stop patting ourselves on the back that we've managed to do yeah. that yeah. and start do the, the slightly harder things, which is like, right now that we've got this data stored in a different way, how can we change our behaviors around that? And yeah. we're the sort of technology that kind of comes in and says, right, we're going to assume that data exists. So what we're going to do is we're going to pop up on your list and we're going to say, Hey, you might want to consider doing this thing at this time because you happen to be here and you are in this role and this patient is here and they need this thing doing. So you might want to consider doing this. Is your so your system or it either is or that's where you're going, which is almost like dynamic role task assignment, if you like. So someone might be moving someone someone relevant to a patient might be in the vicinity of that patient and there might be a task floating around for that patient and your system could kind of match those up. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah, so it's more symbiotic at the moment than that. So we for, for, for a few good reasons, like one, the main reason is that we're not confident enough yet to say this person should be doing this thing now. Um, the second reason is the minute you start doing that, there are some tricky regulatory issues. <laughs> yeah, because you're yeah, <laughs> such a tricky position. Also, like, that's what doctors are trained for, right? Kind of almost. Well, you know. exactly. And it's totally it's the antithesis of what we set out to do, which is that yeah. technology can help here. It's not yeah. trying to t- take over. No. In fact, it's trying to do the stuff that you hate doing as a frontline member of staff, I would imagine, yeah. um, which is the, all of the do- unnecessary documenting and duplication, the unnecessary phone calls, updating someone. Why do I have to update three people when I could have just entered it here once and that information is shared instantly with everybody? And yeah. why am I chasing this person when it should be here? It should be yeah. updated in my hand if, yeah. if it gets updated elsewhere. Um, so I, 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 I kind of take that, that, that view on it, if I'm honest. No, I, yeah, I think that that makes sense. Because I think otherwise you end up, as you said, I mean, it's a little bit like, um, you know, not same, same, but different where we've been with, with PopDoc and, and our sort of cardiovascular tests and diabetes tests and things like that. It's sort of, you know, we're not looking to replace the clinician aspect of it in, in any way. We're trying to create a very easy, immediate, quick test that someone can do with their smartphone either in a clinic or in the home or in the community to, to give people access to give people, individuals and also clinicians and, and, and health organizations access to that data, biological data, so that they can make treatment decisions more quickly so people can get better more quickly. What, what we're not trying to do is to sort of create some robot doctor who will then, you know, provide like, that's that's not really what we want to sort of get into. 
at all. Um, so yeah, I completely, I completely agree with you on that front. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, please. Uh, so testing then, yeah. so the kind of testing we're doing at the moment, do you think it's going to be around for a while? You mean the um, COVID testing? Is that what you mean? Lateral so, flow? Yeah. Do, you, do we think like lateral flow and lamp testing is going to be here for a while? I mean, it's, you mean, well, I think lateral flow has been around for years, years and years. You know, it's yeah. not a new technology. You know, pregnancy tests are based on lateral flow tech. So our tech is lateral flow. So it's, it's a kind of a broad concept. It's, you know, rapid testing, if you like, or point of care testing uses lateral flow has done for a really, really long time for lots of like really, really good reasons. Um, I think the the it's now become kind of like part of the day to day vocabulary, which it wasn't, you know, like 12 months <laughs> ago, um, you know, and people are, are well aware of it. I think, you know, we we believe that um, there that the point of care testing was um not being used as much as it could be not being used as much as it could be being used within the healthcare system you know that there's a reliance on venus like you know pipe out of the arm off to a lab you know the existing pathology lab process um this is not related to covid this is more in general you know and that that process itself normally requires someone to go to the doctors twice one to get the sample taken then they go back to get the the results read to them you know that could be a week or two afterwards you know there's a delay there's obviously a cost to the healthcare system because you need to have someone who's trained enough to take blood out of an arm which is a higher band you know where actually if you can if you can move these things onto a more fingerprint basis, you can have, you can sort of democratize the testing process, have more people involved, scale it up more cheaply and the results are available right there and then. So that's how we sort of approached it. And I think as a result of the, of the um, pandemic, what you're going to see or what was already being seen is the need to move services out of a clinical setting and into a community setting or a home setting you know that is not going to change anytime soon you know that's been that was something that should have been happening faster than it was and now this has sort of accelerated it and if you're going to move testing out of the clinic into homes then you need a digital platform to be able to capture those results in real time and share them back with the electronic health record with you know the gp's back end, wherever that data is ultimately going to go into your digital medical record, that has to happen in real time and be super usable and not require and require a, a minimal of in, input and, and sort of expert expertise from whoever's doing the testing, whether it's an individual testing themselves or whether it's um, a healthcare professional that's doing it in a, in a sort of a non-clinical setting. But I believe that this, um, you know, that, that that's the way that this has to go. And I know that there's already trials up and running, you know, with various things about how to do certain checkups remotely or certain, you know, tests remotely. And so I think that that, you know, that type of concept point of care testing, digitally enabled point of care testing, rapid testing is here to stay and, and will grow across all disease areas where it's relevant, you know, in terms of, whether or not and COVID testing will stay around for a while, I guess. I mean, I hope that it kind of goes away at some point. I'm sure that we all do. You know, I don't see that like, um, you know, PCR testing and lamp testing, that's almost a replication of the existing lab process. So for us, or the way we think about it, there's sort of rapid point of care. And then there's anything that has to go off and be processed in a lab, you know? Um, now, I, the, the issue, I think what we've, what's happened 
you know, what you've seen, there, there are PCR testing labs that can turn things around really, really quickly. You know, I, I don't know if that kind of capacity is then going to get switched onto all of the other disease areas. I think it won't. But, um, you know, that's kind of my thought. I don't know what you think. There's no chance that there's going to be the funding to do that. And that, it, it, yeah, my view is that um, we're going to have, like, testing is being ramped up. Like, we understand now as a society, like, higher volume of tests and higher quality of tests, sure, but higher volume of tests, um, it can be enormously valuable. And, I, and we are, I'm certainly not the expert um, when it comes to sort of rapid testing for COVID-19. We just understood that it's not a perfect test, but um, it's, the, it's the only thing we can do. So if you do enough of it, you're going to discover some asymptomatic cases yeah. that you wouldn't have known about. That's great. As long as you don't rely on it as yeah. the be-all and end-all test, um, doing as much lateral flow testing as you possibly can is, is a beneficial thing. So we, we, we thought our goal here is we need to make it easy. Like, so if this is going to be done sort of twice a week by frontline staff, we just put ourselves in the shoes of the frontline staff who's like now being asked to fill out this like really long form, yeah. giving their first line of address, their postcode, like their phone number and their email address. Every time they submitted a test result, we were like, okay, that's something we can smooth out. high volume admin process that could just be improved by a bit of task management. Yeah, no, no, we, we, on the, on the COVID testing side of things, we felt exactly the same way, which was if you're going to, you know, we, we very early on recognized that rapid testing was going because it was going to happen. But the only way that really it made sense for it to happen would be if you had a digital platform behind it to record the results, log the results, take any additional information that you need to, you know, um, I, our, our system captures a photo of the test because we were more focused on workplaces who wanted that to be then sort of embedded in a certificate or you know some some form that way um but yeah i completely agree with you i think that this idea that you if, if you don't have a digital system digital platform to capture those results to digitize those results the the, the value of the test goes in the bin when the test is done you know, which if you're talking about major public health issues, then that's really not what you want. That's like the opposite of what you want, really. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, and if given the, you know, if, if people are talking about using rapid tests for opening up travel and opening up events and things like that, like if you're going to use it as a step between, you know, an access kind of concept, then you need some sort of validation system to capture that information, to issue a certificate, but there also to be traceability in an audit trail back to you know what was the test who did the test when was the test done is there a copy is there a photo of the test you know because even to your point yes there are not only are there false positives false negatives you know there's also user error you know when, when people are kind of you know they they see a line but there's no line and you need to go back and check whether there was a line or not Think, things like that i mean healthcare professionals in the nhs one assumes that that they are of a certain you know capability to be able to discern that but not everyone will be you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah not everybody front that not everybody on the front line the patient facing staff is a healthcare professional in the sense right. that they've got medical training so assuming that everybody's an expert at doing self-testing <laughs> it's all alien to a lot of us i think 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it, it very like the the whole pandemic has had a huge impact on the healthcare system across the board. Obviously, you know, and there's been technologies which you know, I mean, our clinical advisors have sort of they they like to say that there's been more change in the last twelve months than there has been in the last ten years. You know, in terms of integration and adoption of digital technologies, I think the rapid testing conceptually, you know, when we when we started our our, our company, Pogdog. We, we our technology is based on you prick your finger you take a small droplet of blood and it goes onto the test chip and you take a photo of the test after and it can in, it can calibrate the value of the biomarkers based on the color change of of these things so the first test is lipids and the, working on a diabetes one and there's a few more disease areas we're looking at like polio for example but the um the one of the biggest vision pre- based sorry is it vision, vision based uh yeah computer yeah. vision based um cool. so it's um and you know we've embedded it within the pockdoc app and the pockdoc platform so we always had this vision that we would develop our own tests but then also integrate other tests onto the platform which we've done with covid and we're we're we're, we're in discussions with some ngos regarding polio testing and things like that which would be which would be great um but the 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 biggest pushback that we got when we first started was that no one's going to no one's going to prick their finger no one's going to prick their finger it's not going to happen not going to happen no one's going to do it yeah Yeah, exactly and now you know you look at this thing people are you know swabbing themselves with toilet brushes you know i mean it's not like with the the, yeah exactly (laughs) things down their throats and you know it's we've come conceptually so far um that that we believe that that sort of the interest and the the responsibility that people have had to take in their own health um you know will continue and also that people um the one thing that's been clear about covid and and your ability to your sort of the the quality of your outcome is how healthy you are you know that's pretty consistently the the healthier you are the better chances you have of having a better outcome it's not definitive but you know it's a pretty clear trend the post-covid like the we said to each other we might get as well on COVID too much. No, we can. I mean, I don't mind. It's kind of a thing. So we can talk about COVID. But let's talk post-COVID. So like that, because for me, this is where it's, because I, 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 unbelievably, it sounds like beginning of the end. Like it's, it's an absolutely yeah. Herculean task with the vaccine rollout. Incredible that we even Incredible. have vaccines. Incredible. Uh, multiple vaccines test. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Like I can't, I, I, by the way, I was one of the, people starting to get a little bit negative about our capability to roll this out and oh, wow. it's been incredible oh, it's so been like what? insane world beating yeah so now what now what do we so now we've got the most sort of daunting task of all, a year's worth of backlog to get through yep. all of that diagnostic test all that testing that needs to be done all those appointments that need to be arranged all of that all of that activity that needs to happen and um, that's that is the biggest challenge we have um, as a country. It's how are we going to start fixing people and checking up on people in the numbers that we need to and get back on top of it. I don't see a way. And like, we either need to double the workforce or we need to start taking technology solutions like PopDoc and Infinity and a lot of others right now that can be helpful, seriously. Yes. And, 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 you know, and I think that they are, I mean, the digital health London accelerator that we're on and you, you've been on and a number of the guests mm-hmm. on the show have been on, I think is a sign of, and you, now you're on the, the NIA, the, the innovation accelerator. So I think that there's obviously there's definitely the intent there, you know, there's really the intent, mm-hmm. um, so, which is great, but I think you sort of highlighted it earlier. 
there's there seems to be a bit of a resistance if 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 that's the right way of putting it of like just because it works over here it doesn't mean it's going to work for me when when actually like a solution like infinity will you know probably you know it probably will do you know because that yes the tasks might be different and the people doing the tasks are different and but but your 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 solution is sort of task neutral you put whatever you want in there fill the orange juice up doesn't matter you know like it's more about the conceptual is there a process that is outdated and is non is, is analog or we can we have a solution for that yeah as start i mean this is the dirty secret isn't it? so that startups try to find something really focused to work on and just do that one thing really really well um and what we found was our one thing was uncomfortably larger than we wanted it to be and it just turned out that you don't want to have 30 different task management solutions you want one that works with all of the different within the ecosystem and that's just a harder thing to build but it's what the market and the end users and ultimately it's what patients need yeah and within the um within the the, within your sort of experience of working with with the nhs and, and healthcare organizations what are the, you know, I, I know you said the frontline workers, they love the product, which, which I, I understand. What are the kind of obstacles or pushbacks that you get, if, if any, for, for expanding, for rollout, for, you know, uptake? I think they're just all um, sort of like different flavors of the same no, which is, uh, it's not, it's never really a no, it's a not right now. Okay. It's timing. Again, it's timing. So, um, everything we're saying makes a lot of sense to an organization and no organization is perfect and infinity isn't perfect right so we're not nobody's offering perfection we're just offering improvement and we're saying we can offer you improvement in all of these different areas in these ways and they're saying sometimes we're currently busy solving this problem over here and that's got all of our attention right now. We'll right. speak again soon. That's okay. the biggest challenge is that it's, you have to be strike. You have to be saying the right thing at the right time to the right person, you know, and that's not an easy thing to do when you've got hundreds of organizations all operating under the banner of the NHS, yeah. um, trying to improve services for patients and staff. Um, you've just got to, you know, it's like the, uh, um, perfect storm again or sort of like we call it threading the needle is the best way to describe it is you've got to line up governance you've got to line up clinical safety you've got to line up um a digital transformation program and improvement the integration team and finances and you've got to get an evaluation to build a business case like all of this has to be like all of the uh, circumstances have to be perfect for that to work that's the biggest challenge is getting threading the needle Cool. Well, look, on that note, I think it's time that we say thank you very much for coming on. It was a great discussion. Look, I love what you guys are doing. I, I wish you all the best. You know, it makes it sounds like it can make so much difference, not just to the hospital, but also to the patients. So, you know, thanks for coming on and thanks to everyone for listening. Steve.